Thank you for listening to this message. I trust that you are blessed by it. We have prayed that the Holy Spirit would use this message to inform, equip, and empower you. You can find out more about the ministry of Grace Chapel Assembly of God at gracechapelmagnolia.org on the web. If you'd like to learn more about the church or to help support our ministry, you'll find all that information on the website. God bless you. Uh, we want to extend a uh, an invitation to you to stay after service and enjoy the, the uh, barbecue. Whether or not you can give an offering, it's, it doesn't matter. We want you to be a part of the celebration. And um, it's going to be good. We've got all kinds of brisket and we've got ribs and beans and potato salad and just cobblers being made. I mean, it's just at all. We're just going to sit there all afternoon and just keep eating. <laughs> so I hope you don't have any plans this afternoon. hope you weren't planning to go to Costco or anything like that. It's empty anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. So anyway, stay with us, and it's going to be a great afternoon. I want to talk to you this morning about a... Uh, we're going to, we finished up the sermon series that we were on last, and so we are going to be moving into kind of three weeks of sort of, as the Cajuns would say it, long yap, and that is a little bit extra on the side. So it's just whatever the Lord's placed on my heart specifically, and that's what we're going to be doing. And so this morning what I want to do is minister to you through a, a message that I've entitled Trusting the Master Carpenter. Trusting the Master Carpenter. Do we have that up there? Boom. There it is. Oh, that's why I'm not seeing it. Well, trusting the master carpenter. Here we go. It's always surprises with this. Oops, I did that. Can you bring me back to it? I'm trying to figure out why the title's not there. Trusting the master carpenter. We're going to get into the first one is finding the right carpenter. Okay, or finding the right carpenter. Now, Cindy and I, we enjoy watching those DIY and HGTV shows. Anybody else uh, a glutton for punishment in that? We, we love those shows, and we can just sort of get, get on it, put it on the show, and then just sort of, you know, episode after episode, and you're just kind of watching this thing clip along. And they all just sort of follow the, you know, sort of the same, the same plan. Uh, personalities are a little bit different in each one of them, but we like these shows. We, we like the Fixer Upper. We like um, Property Brothers. We like uh, Hometown. But if I were to choose one of them that I like more than... The others, it would be Homes on Homes, okay, Homes on Homes. Uh, the contractor at Homes on Homes is Mike Holmes, and uh, if I had to choose one of them to do work on my house, I would choose Mike Holmes. The other, it, it, it's, uh, he is this type of guy that just uh, almost is obnoxious when he first comes into your home. It's like the story basically goes this way, is that... Um, the home in his, his type of show, his type of episode, was a home that somebody, another contractor had come into, and they had begun some work, and they had spent you know, tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, and the, con- and the contractor did not get it right. And so he left them a bag of just kind of nothing. It's just a mess inside of that house. So Mike Holmes comes in, and the first episode, you know, when it kicks off, and you begin to watch this, he's sort of walking through this home, and you see this homeowner, they're sort of distraught, frustrated, you know, and Mike is kind of going through and he's like, 
just, this is wrong. You know, that's wrong. This is it's sort of like a drill sergeant walking through. That's wrong. It's ate up. This is, you know, just kind of all this. And he walks through and he points out everything. What were, you, what were they thinking? Why did you choose this contractor? And I'm thinking, I'm really feeling sorry for this person that's, that's you know, that's hired this person. I'm like, Mike, come on, buddy. You know, but hey, it's his show. And, and you know, you know that there's going to be an end to it. So he goes through it. He finds and he identifies all of these different problems. But the thing is that when you know, or when Mike shows up on the, on the job, you know that it's going to get corrected, right? You know that it's going to get taken care of. This, the, the thing that I like about him is he's thorough. Mike does not cut any corners. I mean, to the extent that I've looked at it and gone, man, I, don't even, I didn't even know that product existed that he's putting on this house. It's like not just your common stuff, but it's like to, to the nth degree that he's bumping these things up and he's making this house really, really a pretty amazing place. He, he doesn't, if he sees something that is suspicious, you know, he's pulling sheetrock down, he's going through concrete, he's doing all these different types of things to figure out what is going on. But that's why I'd want Mike Holmes to build my home, because I know that when he finishes, it's going to be structurally sound, and it's going to be a pleasure to enjoy. So the biggest decision, you know, if we're ever in that position where we're having to rebuild a home or, or uh, you know, remodel whatever, at whatever level, the biggest decision that you have to make is who is going to be your contractor? Okay, who is going to be your contractor? So let me introduce to you the best contractor. Okay, and that is the master carpenter, and his name is Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Jesus is preeminently qualified to be working on your house and on my house. Can you say amen again? Can you say it again? Just convince yourself. Okay, he is preeminently qualified to be working on my house and on your house. On your house. He can repipe, he can rewire, he can rebuild, he can reframe, he can pour the new foundation or repair the old foundation. He can do all these things and he can do it completely. He can redesign us completely. Can you say amen again? And the other beauty of it is that he's a contractor that's not going to leave you in the middle of the job. He's not a contractor that's going to leave you in the middle of the job. So let's go to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 3 and work our way through it. He writes this, of course, Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says this, he says, I thank my God every day or every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident, and this is really where we're going to spend a lot of time, but being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? We're going to reread that section right there. Right, being confident of this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How many of you will receive that this morning? He is faithful to carry it on until the day of Jesus Christ. The scripture continues, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. We're going to get into this. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Can you say amen with me this morning? Hallelujah. So Paul understands, he recognizes also that Jesus is, in fact, that master carpenter. Right? He is not going to leave the job. Take a look again at verse 6 with me in your Bibles. He says this, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. See, Jesus is excellent at his trade. He's not afraid of the work that needs to be done. Yesterday I was over at Soul Mission and, and uh, Kelly was giving me sort of a tour of things. And I said, hey, I'm, I'd like to, you know, I, I said, I'd like to come over and help you with some of these things. He says, well, you know, what is it you can do? And so he took me to a breaker box. I said, Kelly, I can't do that. Right? That's not my area right there. I said, uh, I said you know, that's, that's uh, an electrical, you know, engineer needs, or master electrician needs to understand that. I said, I can handle the other end of that, but not at that point. You see, I, there's a limitation on what I know how to do, but there's not a limitation on what Jesus knows how to do. Right? He is the master carpenter. And as we allow him to work in our lives, as we allow him to remodel inside of our lives, he's faithful, he's knowledgeable, he's proficient. He knows, in fact, what he's doing. We know that, the, the, that Jesus was trained under his father's training as a carpenter. So we know that Jesus worked for his dad for a period of time, at least through age 12. We also know that his dad passed at some point after that. Okay, but it was likely that he continued to be raised as a carpenter, so he learned that trade. It was the custom of that day that the son worked alongside of his father. And in Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, Jesus is referred to as the carpenter, the son of Mary. Now, the Israelites were not really well known with their carpentry skills. In fact, in the days of Solomon, what they did was they outsourced it. Right? Solomon goes... Hey, he goes, talks to the Phoenicians. He says, look, you guys are better with wood than we are. Do you mind bringing some guys in and help me on this temple? Because I really want to make something really nice. No offense to our carpenters and the crude. Right? He says, I, w- I want to bring them in. So he brings them in. But later on, we do find out that the, 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 uh, the Hebrews learn quite a bit. And, and, and later they begin to do other things like paneling and cladding and carving. And this is according to a book called uh, Manners and Customs of Bible Times. So they were pretty good by the time of the exile. Hey, they were pretty good with construction. Now what Jesus probably would have spent most of his time building was actually the homes. And inside of the homes, what they would take is they would go out to the, the forest, they'd get a tree, they'd have to fell the tree, bring it down, and then they would have to scrape it, they'd have to make it into a beam, and then they'd bring it into the house and they'd set it up and it would carry the weight of the roof. And so this is what Jesus would be working on and putting that together. Now, it's pretty amazing because I think, um, you know, when, when I'm building something, there is this little black book that I found at a store one time. It's a little engineer's book, and I pull that book out, and I'll look at it. I'll go, how much stress can a two-by-four take over a period of, or over a span of four feet, six foot, 
eight foot? Or what, do I need more weight? Or do I need more uh, ability to handle the weight? So I'll go to a four by four or a six by six and all that. But my little book, some smart guy put together the little book, right? And he tells me what is the stress. I'm thinking Jesus, when he's felling a tree and he's preparing it to bring it into this house and to set it up, he doesn't need to look at a little black book. He created the tree. Right? He understands. Y'all are, come on, wake up. Help me out here a little bit. Right? He created the world. Right? He understands the things that we don't understand. And so as he's cutting this tree down, I think that he understands the cellular structure of this tree. He understands the way that this tree is going to warp over time. He's, he's making the choices that are appropriate. He is the master designer. Not only does he understand that beam, but he understands also what we can handle. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, or verse 13 says this. Doesn't say that. Doesn't say that either. It didn't make it. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says this. No temptation. If you've got the notes, just kind of write it in. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. See, he understands what your stress is. He understands what the load ought to be. He is that master carpenter who's able to redesign and design our lives for us. Continuing that verse, it says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can in fact, endure it. How many of you have held on to that promise before? Amen. Going through a season in your life where it seems especially hard, where it seems like there is no light at the end of the tunnel, where it seems like everything is just closing in on you, and you say to yourself, you know what? God says that he is faithful, that he's not going to give me more than I can bear, but I'm confident in it. I walk in it. I believe in it, trusting the Lord for every moment of your life. How many before have had a season in your life where it seems like every day it's just I just need to get my feet on the ground out of bed in the morning and that's victory and going on it's in those types of moments that we realize that God is faithful and he is that master designer he's that master carpenter who understands what the stress load is in Psalm 8 David says this he says what is man that you are mindful of him what is man that you are mindful of him. It's an interesting question, and perhaps we can just say, well, it's just sort of a rhetorical question. I say it's more than that. It's the fact that David's saying, God is thinking of man. What is man that thou art mindful of? Well, that means that God is mindful of me. He's mindful of you. He's thinking of us. He's considering us. He's thinking about what our day is. He's thinking about what are, when's the last time that we had communion together. When is the last time we've spoken to one another? When is the last time that you've sat in his presence? And I also think that even when we're unaware, he's watching over us, he's mindful of us, he's protecting us. I'll share, I guess I'll just share a personal testimony. And maybe I've shared this before, but... We were, I was, I was a youth, a youth and, and we were leaving youth group. It was a um, winter day in upstate New York, and so we were heading back to home. So we left from a little town called Avon, and up there it's, it's a little different because here it's like 10 miles before you even get to Magnolia. There it's like little town after little town. So we leave from Avon, we go to 
um, go to East Avon, and as we're going past East Avon, there's this, there's this trailer park that everybody knows, and, and so there's this there's a spot of black ice right there, okay? So our car hits this black ice. My brother and I are in the car. Hits the black ice, and the car does this. It goes, begin, the back end starts to slide, but it writes itself quickly. We get home, you know, say, hey, mom, dad, everything, you know, we're, you know, everything's good, no problem, not a big deal. Don't even tell them about it. Our assistant youth pastor called the house, right? She said this. She, she, she says, hey, I'm just checking on Michael and Mark. I want to make sure that they got home all right. She said, as they were, right after the service, she said, I had this vision, and Michael and Mark were in their car. It was a Chevy Nova, 1975 Chevy Nova. They were in their car. They were driving. They got to Harper Park, right in front of Harper Park. This is all vision. She says, they got to Harper Park, and I saw the car begin to go out of control. She said, I saw angels come down and put the car back on the road. I'm like, okay. So we're like, you know, so she shares that over the phone. You know, back then it was the old dial phone. And so she shares that over the phone, and we're, we're you know, asking questions. Or we're, well, what'd she say? Well, this is what she said. Well, in fact, that is what happened when we were on the road. Were we praying actively at that time? No. Was God mindful of us? Yes. Mindful of us. And how many times is God mindful of us even when we're unaware of it, but he's thinking of us and he's taking care of us. The things that, and I've got other stories that I could share and I'm sure that you do as well. The other thing that we need to understand about the master carpenter is that the building is underway. The building is underway. Going back to Philippians 1.6, right, it's in being confident of this, and that it is he that began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, we're confident that the building is underway. What can we expect in the middle of construction? Well, on the show Homes on Homes, Mike Holmes will walk through that house and that owner, man, she, you know, he or she better just stay away from that house for a while because it ain't going to look like it's getting better. He's going to walk through that house. He's going to find problems in the walls. He's going to find things where it's not, uh, not, there's no moisture barrier that's taking place. He's going to find foundations that are cracking. And so you may go into that house and where you used to have the floor, now you've got a hole in the ground. Because he's removed it. He's fixing it. There are things that are taking place. How many of you have felt like in your life before that God's just come in and removed what you thought was a good floor in your life? It was there, now it's gone. What's going on with this? So Mike Holmes is in there. He's taking all these things. And up there, you know, he, he actually is from Toronto. He does a show in all different places. But I know in western New York, the frost line is 48 inches down. So your footer has to go 48 inches down into the ground, at least, at a minimum, to be able to get below the frost line. And so when he's up there and he's fixing footer problems, he's got this whole thing just kind of excavated out, and it's down to the bottom, down, it looks like you're looking into a pit, and there he is fixing those things. How many of you enjoy it when you've got a foundation problem in your life and God's come in to fix it? You're going, whoa, what's going on here? I thought this was a routine cleaning. But instead, it's a whole lot more than that. 
But the beauty is this, is that even though it looks crazy, even though it looks like everything has been unearthed, the reality is is that he is faithful to complete the thing that he has set out to do. It may look like chaos, but in fact, what he's doing is is that he is getting to the very root of the problem. And that is what Christ does in our lives as well. He gets to the root of the problem through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we can have confidence that Christ is doing a good work in us. Again, 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 1.8 says, He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you'll be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have claimed that scripture this morning? Right? He is going to keep you He's going to stay on the job. He's going to continue to be that faithful contractor working in our lives until the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't stop. He doesn't let up. He continues to work, continues to work in our lives until that time. Another promise comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. How many of you have had times in your lives where you just needed something to cling to? You just needed that promise in your life. Well, that's an awesome promise to be able to remember right there. Is God, he's able to bless me abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. We've got turbulent times that are taking place in our nation right now. What is going to be consistently faithful Jesus Christ consistently faithful we just need to trust in him one more promise for you comes from 1st Thessalonians 5 and 24 it says the one who calls you is faithful and here's a little little you know a little phrase right here that's worth knowing he will do it he will do it Isn't it nice to come across a contractor who comes and looks at a problem in your life? Or a problem, let's just say, in a physical, in a real sense, that he comes in and he looks at at your house and he says, okay, um, you know, you say, I've got this situation. Here's what I'd like to remodel. A lot of people have turned me me down. And this guy comes up, he looks at it, he goes, I'll do it. And shakes your hand. Boom, done. Right? That's what we want. That's what, do you not want that? Help me out here. Help me preach. We're going to get food in a little while. Right? But how many of you want that? I want that, type of, I want that type of agreement. I want to be able to walk into any type of a contract with somebody and just go, hey, this is what I need done. Are you willing to do it? I'll do it for you. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, I will do it. I'm faithful to do that. He leaves nothing incomplete. He leaves nothing incomplete. In our fire Bibles, the One of the comments that he writes in there is this. I'm just going to read it for you. He says this, Do you sometimes feel as though you aren't making progress in your spiritual life? When God starts a project, he completes it. As with the Philippians, God will help you grow in grace until he has completed his work in your life. When you are discouraged, remember that God won't give up on you. He promises to finish the work he has begun. And when you feel incomplete, unfinished, or distressed by your shortcomings, remember and be confident in God's promise and provision. Don't let your present condition rob you of the joy of knowing Christ or keeping you from growing closer to him. I'm just going to add one caveat to that. This is something I preached in recent weeks. 
And that is make sure that as the construction is going on, that you're making yourself available to him. Because if you've taken the key back and said, hey, I'm not going to let you in, don't put it on the, car, on the contractor, the work's not getting done. Right? Make sure that your time, as you're waiting, is good time, not bad time. And so he is faithful to complete that work. Saying it again, it's just simply... This is the master, car- master carpenter will, in fact, complete the work. Philippians 1.6 says in the second part of it, said, being confident of this, that the work, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that he will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It was just a couple of weeks ago in Channel 13's news article appeared. A building contractor, I don't know, maybe somebody knows this guy, but this building contractor was sentenced for 10 years in prison for fraud during Hurricane Harvey. Benjamin Wood, 36, pleaded guilty to stealing $180,000 from 26 different victims, including workers, suppliers, and clients. Wood operated construction companies, had a long history of misdemeanor arrests for credit card abuse, theft, and wage theft from contractors. But after this storm, Wood scammed dozens of people into paying him for work he never did, including by writing bad checks to smaller business or small um, builder supply companies and mom and pop businesses. Probably, if I asked you to raise your hand, I'm not going to. But probably, if I asked you to raise your hand and say how many of you have been scammed at some point from some contractor or something, probably many of us, our hands would go up. As a result, it's a sad reality that we have. But we have complete confidence in Jesus Christ. Complete confidence in Jesus Christ. That what he begins in us, he is faithful to complete. One of the things that we have in Christ is we have this word called optimism. Optimism. As I grow older, the more and more I value optimism. You know, optimism is, uh, you know, one of these, I, th- I think it's one of these concepts that we oftentimes uh, overlook. Um, you know, the, the scripture says a, a merry heart works like a medicine in our lives. See, optimism is a part of that. When we have optimism in our lives, when we're excited, when we have hope, when we have an expectation of something that's special that's going to be taking place in our lives, aren't we just sort of that much stronger, that much healthier, that much more pleasant to be around it's about having that optimism you don't sound like it help me help me preach can you say amen how many of you like an optimistic spouse amen yes right we want to be encouraging one another we want to be shouting for one another cheering on what's going on optimism itself the concept is just this it's the ability to face the future with confidence is that something our world needs right now? The ability to face the future with confidence? We have a privilege as believers, and that is that blessed hope that Doug Clay referred to as we prayed that just a few minutes ago. That optimism, that hope that we have in Christ, that it doesn't disappear regardless of what the circumstances are. These are promises that take place in our life. And here are a few more promises that you may want to write down or just circle them. If you picked up the, uh, the sermon outline, 
Here's one. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Can you say amen? The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and that he will continue to deliver us. Can you say amen to that? I was, um, you know, I think many of us are social media. You know, it's the past week has been exhausting emotionally, just on Facebook and all that stuff, up and down and all around and all that stuff. And so I'd posted, um, many of you saw it, but I'd posted sort of an encouragement, also kind of a stand your ground kind of thing. So I posted that, and uh, uh, a soldier that had worked with me um, back during the deployment responded and, and made basically this statement. They said, uh, they said, prayers won't stop infection. And I said, uh, I said, well, and I knew, because uh, I know, you know, where they stand, and, and so, so I was like, uh, I said, well, I said, first of all, I think that our government is making good choices. Secondly, I think that people can be healed, right? And I think faith is important, and so that was my simple response to, to that question, rather than getting into argument about it. But here it is, Right? Doesn't this answer it? He has delivered. See, this is the position that we stand on as Christians, is that he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope, and, on, and, and that he will continue to deliver us. You see, that is the position that I'm taking. Right? Ultimately, every position that we take, right, and we believe as Christians that we stand in absolute truth, that God is absolutely true, and his promises are absolutely true. Right? And so when we stand on that, we distinguish ourselves from everyone else because of that truth, because of hope and because of optimism. Right? This is the confidence, First John this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Right? We can approach him. We can talk to him. We can speak to him. And he will hear us as we petition him. And then the last promise that I've listed here, and you could go through the Bible and pull so many more, but in that day you will say, this is from Isaiah, in that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Right? Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. What a wonderful position for us to stand in and to recognize the promises of God. I like this devotion. There was a devotion I read in preparation. and It's based on the story of Billy and Ruth Graham. So they were driving, as was their, uh, I'm sure, what they did a lot of. They were driving through a long stretch of road construction. Sort of reminds me of I-45 between here and Huntsville. So they had numerous slowdowns. They had detours. They had stops along the way. Finally, they reached the end of all that difficulty, all that road work. And smooth pavement finally stretched out in front of them. And a sign caught Ruth's attention. The sign said this. It said, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. She turned to her husband and she said, uh, 
She says, I think those words would be fitting to be on my tombstone one day. <laughs> End of construction. Thank you for your patience. And then the person that wrote this commented this, says, as a matter of fact, those words fit all of us as believers. Because in this life, we are under construction. And when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we begin the lifelong process of spiritual growth, what we call sanctification. The Holy Spirit works in us to remove our selfishness, to renew our thinking, to develop qualities in us that are more and more Christ-like. Paul described this process as a work of God, and he said, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. As we travel heavenward, let's cooperate with God's construction to our lives. And when his work is in us is complete, we shall be like him, perfectly conformed to our Savior's likeness. When is the last time that you can say that you took time either by yourself or with somebody else and you said, you know what, I just need to pray that God changes my heart. Just need Jesus to work in me a little bit. I find myself praying it a lot. Lord, I need you. I, I, I need you to get the stink out. Right? Get, get the flesh out of me. Get, get my thinking out of me. And put your heart inside of me instead of my thoughts. So, the next thing that happens in our story with uh, Homes on Homes is as the show, after they've done all this stuff, and after they've reworked, redesigned, rebuilt, busted up, put to back together, all that kind of stuff, at the very end of it, there's this reveal that takes place. Okay, there's this reveal that takes place. Now, the fixer-upper, I think that they, 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 you know, they got the best plan early on, but nobody else could do it that way. So what they did was they said, after the, after the house has been completely remodeled, what we're going to do is put this huge screen in front of the house with a picture of what it used to look like, and then Chip and Joanna are going to get on the sides of it, and they're just going to pull it apart, and then these clients are going to look, and they're going to see their new house, and they just begin to weep or laugh or dance or do whatever, you know, whatever their response is going to be. I wonder what it's going to be like in heaven. <laughs> well, with, with Holmes, Mike Holmes, what he does is he just, you know, it's already, the screen's already been taken by another show. So, so he, he just sort of brings them to the front, and he just begins to walk them through it and begins to show them the interior of this house. Instead of what the house used to look like, he begins to show them what it should look like. He begins to show them how it should function, and even beyond what it should function like, he's really ramped it up. It's, it's high-tech, it's awesome inside, all the best products that he had added, I guess just because. So the Apostle Paul also gives us insight into what the big reveal is going to be for us when we allow the master carpenter to come into our lives. He points out three specific things. First of all, he points out that it's going to be a life abounding in love. That's number one. So this is the reveal. This is what we begin to see if we allow the master carpenter to work in our lives. A life abounding in love. Secondly, a discerning eye to see with wisdom. And lastly, a life full of righteous fruit. How many of you would like to see that reveal in our lives? So let's talk about the first one, a life abounding in love. 
He says this in verse 9, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. I think that we ought to pay a little bit more attention to what the apostles are praying over the people that they're writing to. Because this is not like a common prayer. We wouldn't be necessarily praying. You know, I, I just, I'll, I'm being completely frank here. This is just, not, you know, I wouldn't probably pray this over my kids without understanding what we're looking at today. You know, should I pray over them that their love abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight? And yet, Paul does pray this over them. He says, this is what ought to be taking place in your lives. Love is important. In these home reveals, the women are really excited. Typically, the, the women, sometimes the guys, depends on who the cook is, but they get excited about going in that kitchen, right? They go into that new kitchen, and it's like, this is amazing. New appliances. The way that it's been laid out has been redesigned. It's efficient now. It's aesthetically pleasing to look at. It's like, whoa, this is amazing. I, now I'm going to look forward to cooking. And whoever is the non-cook's going, praise God. <laughs> you see, it's important to get that right. It's important to get the kitchen right for the woman in the house because, after all, they are the heart of the home. You know, we, we often will, will teach veterans and, and, and talk about relationships and all that, and it's, it's the person that gets into your kitchen, your dining room with you. They have your heart, or, you know, they have your heart. That's the folks. You've got to get past the living room. Living room is formal. It's that kitchen that becomes informal. It becomes relational. And so what Paul is talking about here is that love. It's that, that informality. It's that nearness of heart that's tied together. That's why Paul prays for the love to abound. I think it's interesting. A, a, a man by the name of Dwight Pentecost writes this. I'm going to read it kind of slowly so you can get it, so it can sort of, it's like watering the ground too fast. You know, it just runs off. So I'm going to read it a little bit slowly so it sort of sinks in. He writes this. He says, people who spend time together in prayer find themselves bound by the closest of tithes. Okay? So they're bound together, the network together. When two labor together in prayer before God, all hypocrisy is stripped away. All sham and pretext about loving one another evaporates, and people are compelled to be perfectly honest with, with each other before God. When in the first chapter of Philippians, we read of the Apostle Paul's prayer for these believers in Philippi, the heart of the Apostle is exposed. In all honesty before God, because of his love for them, he prays for them. You see, it's when we begin to pray for one another that we begin to expose our hearts. If I invite you to pray with me, right, as many of you have invited me to pray with you, you have exposed your heart to me and said, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing you, with you something that is special. Would you join with me because my heart is hungry for this, or my heart is hurting over this. There's that exposure that takes place. So as Paul's talking about this abounding in love, I think it's this networking together and this exposing of one another in love so that we can be a blessing to one another. Can you say amen? How many of you would want to be a part of that type of a reveal in your house? Another component of the reveal is this, is that we get a discerning eye to see with wisdom, a discerning eye to see with wisdom. Philippians 1 
and verse 10. It says, so that you might be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That you might be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Almost every house today, when you watch them, they go in and they begin to remodel the house and they move this wall. I mean, it's always the same. You know, this move, wall has to move. We've got to open up the kitchen, right? The dining room has to be part of this. We need open concept so that everything can be seen throughout the whole building. That's the modern design. That's the way it is all done. That's the way that everybody seems to, seems to like it. And in fact, it is a very, very attractive way to be able to put it all together. Of course, the reason for that is, is typically mom, she wants to be able to be involved in whether you're in the kitchen or you're in the dining room or you're in the living room. It's like connectedness that's taking place. And so there's this hospitality, there's this uh, warmness to the home. And so this is all kind of coming together. God's design for our lives is that we be interconnected with love. But we also need to operate in wisdom. Can you say amen? And over the past several weeks, we've talked about some really hard topics. We, we've talked about healing, you know, changes that come, uh, or healing that comes through changes that we take place. We've talked about grace. We've talked about truth. We've talked about time. We've talked about connectedness, boundaries. We've talked about really being adults, standing on our own two feet, which means taking risks, understanding what rewards, understanding what consequences, all those kinds of things that come with being an adult. So we've talked about all those things. Those things are wisdom. And, and as Paul is praying and he's saying, hey, you know, we, we need to be able to discern what's best and understand what is pure and blameless before the Lord. What he's really saying is, is we need to be wise in how we design the way we live our lives. We need to be thoughtful of it. In the Greek, Paul uses this word, asthestis, okay, or asthestai, with an I-A, a IA at the very end. And um, it's an interesting word because it sort of, as you translate it, it's a word that we get our aesthetic from. You know, aesthetically pleasing means that it appeals to the senses. The opposite of that is to not appeal to the senses, to the senses is anesthetic, which means that you are dead to your senses. Right? So it's not having or not understanding the surroundings that are there. So what Paul is using actually in the Greek here is he's saying, look, we need to be aware of the surroundings. We need to be aware of what is taking place in our lives. In other words, Paul is saying we don't need to be living in a cocoon with our heads buried in the sand, but we need to be alert, we need to be aware, and we need to be active in our worlds. Can you say amen? In other words, we need to be light, we need to be salt, we need to be coals brought into the world. And the last one is this. The last characteristic of the reveal is this, is a life full of righteous fruit. A life full of righteous fruit. Again, going back to our text, verse 11 says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. So as he's revealing to us what this house needs to look like as the master carpenter, as he's put it all together, as it's filled with love, it's filled with discernment and wisdom, and, and, and so that is taking place, but in addition to that, it's filled with the fruits of righteousness for the glory of God. Now, we could go through 
the Bible and talk about a lot of benefits, fruits of righteousness that are there, fruits of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. There's all kinds of things that are there. I mean, it's, you know, uh, it, we could fill pages by taking a look at that. But there's something that, that Gordon Fee points out, and I think it's really interesting, because he, he goes to the original grammar that's there, and in it, there's this unique kind of a verb tense that they use, and it's past perfect. And so in it, it is this idea of something, when, when, when what he's talking, what Paul's talking specifically about right here, is a righteousness that was created or that was completed for us previously. In just a couple weeks, we're going to be entering Easter. Right? God has given us a righteousness that was completed by the work that he did on the cross for us. All we had to do was just simply receive it. But it was complete. There's nothing that can be added to it. It's perfect in that. You see, the master carpenter for us has perfected the design. He has perfected the completion of our righteousness by the work that he did on the cross for us. It couldn't have been done by any other contractor. It couldn't have been done by any other carpenter. It could only have been done by Jesus Christ. He perfected it for us. And all we need to do is just simply receive it. Can you say amen? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm closing. These are the points that I wanted to make. I I think for us it... It leaves us a tremendous picture of a reveal that God wants to do in our lives. It also gives us this confidence that we can have in him because he is able to do amazing things for us. So I'll leave you with a couple questions. We're all family here this morning. We know one another. We know one another's testimonies. So I think we all have accepted... Jesus Christ is our builder in our lives. We have accepted him as our builder builder in our lives, and he's already working in our lives. But is there something that we need to recommit to him? Is there maybe a room in your life where you've said, hey, you know, if you will, Mike Holmes, you can come into my house, but just don't go into that room because it's uh, my special room. You can't do that. Jesus is not going to allow you to do it. He's going to say, I need every room. I need the key to that whole house. Because what I want to do is I want to come in, and if the, if the foundation's cracked in that part, it's going to be cracked in the rest of the building. It needs to be repaired. It might be we just simply need to go before the Lord. We just need to simply bow before him and God, say, God, I need you more than ever before. I want to commit to you more than ever before. I want to resign it completely to you. And Lord, I want to have confidence in what you want to do in my life. Because I know that the reveal that you want to have in my life is so much greater than I can even imagine. It's beyond what I can even understand. Lord, thank you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. And I'm just going to pray over you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your promises. Lord, I thank you for the challenge 
in our spirit, Lord, even probably as these people receive this letter, as the church of Philippi, as they receive this letter, where they're probably a little shaken. And when Paul said, be confident of this, he who began a good work in you will complete it. That, Lord, it was a promise that they clung to, they hung on to. And, Lord, there may be people in our congregation this morning that may be struggling with different things going on in their lives, uncertainty that's taking place, questions, maybe even loyalty issues. Lord, I pray that there would be a commitment this morning. It says, Lord, there's no one else but you. I can trust you. You're faithful. And that, Lord, you can take care of my unique situation. You can take care of this national situation, this whole global situation. Lord, you can do it. We can be confident in you. You get it. You understand it. Lord, touch us. Lord, and have your way, your perfect way in our lives. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen. We invite you, of course, to go on upstairs and enjoy. We'll start the the meal in just a moment. If you'd like to come up for prayer, I'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Look forward to uh, seeing you at the meal in just a minute or two.